Welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Okay, hey guys, it's Dan, the Wizard of Steroids. Back here to answer your steroids questions again. This is podcast number 30. There's been a few extra episodes, though, amid the episodes, so the number doesn't always go up. Like, there's the Trend Malone episode and the Growth Hormone episode with Zac Efron on Growth Hormone and Masteron for Baywatch on the thumbnail on YouTube of that video. So, I'm back here again, and the reason I come to you is because you have questions about steroids and I've got your answers (laughs) alright so make sure that you go to the website for this podcast wherever you're listening to this whether you listen to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Pocket Casts or YouTube Or if you're on steroidspodcast.com, listen to this, www.steroidspodcast.com. We want to go to the website, Steroids Podcast, and sign up for the VIP email list so that I have your email. Because, you know, one thing with this uh, C-virus thing, you know, we've noticed how there's been a lot of censorship. And so... That's why I have that VIP email list there, so that if you guys like listening to this content, you know, if some t- someday my, my content, you know, just gets, you know, eliminated, you know, my, my online identity gets assassinated, you know where to find me, www.steroidspodcast.com, or you can email me at steroidspodcast at gmail.com. Okay, first question is from Taylor. Hey Dan, for your next podcast, could you go over push-pull legs training split versus bro split for optimal muscle gains and recovery? I've been doing push-pull legs before gyms closed for about a year or more and got amazing results. Uh, What's your opinion on the two? Thanks. Okay, yeah, we talked about this in the last episode, is that, yeah, push-pull legs is a good routine and also... Uh, bro split is a good routine. The main thing is that you just have to make sure that your compound lifts are increasing in some kind of performance way um, over time. Because if it's not like that, then you just kind of like blow up on gear. And then when you go off gear, you just go off. The really big guys are inhumanely strong if if they tried. A lot of them are using different ways of progressive overload getting there. They don't aren't lifting the super heavy weights, but they can, they can lift them. They're extremely strong. Uh, so you got to do whatever routine is facilitating, uh, you doing that, which means you should go back and forth between tons of different training styles. If you really need a routine that works well, dude, doing like the Mark Ripto starting strength routine where you squat overhead press and bench press and deadlift like three times a week and then you can like put pull-ups in there too and you do like three sets of five with the same amount of weight on each exercise and then uh just uh and then just increase it you know like 
one every week you increase it five pounds and you can get stronger way fast like that so if you're just looking to i mean even that stuff works on steroids i've found i found in my training actually using like those like beginner bodybuilding programs or like muscle gaining programs um doing it doing it like that or doing a mad cow i I really like mad cow um five by five workout too you can find that on google and you can program a whole spreadsheet where you know this program these programs work and you gain in your strength you know if you follow the weights and you're honest about programming in the weights that you're going to use so I recommend stuff like that because you know what those stuff that stuff works for guys who are not on steroids and so then if you use them on steroids and you eat a lot of food those programs freaking work even stuff like starting strength I know that sounds funny you just got to make a few modifications add in those pull-ups add in those rows but three by five three sets of five with the same weight across for all those compound exercises and do it three times a week and don't do any more, you know? Uh, you know, you can add in like some bicep curls and like pull-ups or like shoulder raises. Uh, but, you know, just like bench press, squat, uh, deadlift, and that, and you just do it three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is usually how they do it. That works. If you're on gear and you're eating food, that's how you get dense. That's how you get dense muscle that sticks around after the cycle basic training just real basic training uh that's how you don't just like blow up on drugs (laughs) and be like a walking pharmacy for a few months and then uh look like you got chemotherapy afterwards or something no it'll never be like that it won't be like that unless you come off for six months then people will start noticing they will definitely start noticing big time. Be like, is he sick? What's wrong with you, man? Are you sick? All right, next question is from Daryl. Question for the pod. Thoughts about slowly ramping dose. Thinking of running equal test and primobolin. And I was thinking of starting 250, 250 milligrams. So 250 milligrams of each per week. And as I start to max out, I get there, go 500, 500, and maybe end up 750, 750. Okay, yeah, like breaking your plateau by increasing the dosage. Yeah, that's a good way to use it. He says he, says he would love to make the Prima Bullen last instead of 800 milligrams off the bat before my body even saturates and isn't the swing of the bulk. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, so... I mean, if you respond to the lower dosage like that, yeah, then you don't have to use 800 milligrams. I, you know, he's talking about because Primobolin needs to be run at a fairly high dosage in order to be effective um, in the way where you, you are aware that it's doing something. Um, it can still work in the background and kind of do, do, some, do some stuff uh, otherwise, but in order for it to be in your consciousness and be aware you know like you're doing things and you're like oh yeah like I definitely feel you know that premobile in affecting me and affecting my body that's about 800 milligrams per week I, I would say um kind of like he was saying instead of going to 800 milligrams off the bat so if you can you know if you're just starting out and you do 250 250 and break your plateau and then uh you know, keep going till you plateau again and then go to 500, 500 on the dosages of testosterone and primobolin together. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. It's not as fast as doing it the way where you start off um, at a higher dosage. It's like a, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a more conservative and rational approach to doing things. So, Daryl, you got the right idea, bro. I think it's a good I think it's a good idea. I think you should do it. Next question is from Anderson. He says optimal length and supplements for a cruise after a 16 week blast of 500 testosterone and 500 trenbolone. 
250 milligrams testosterone, five weeks, and maybe some S4, a SARM, and then blast again. Okay, so you're talking about optimal length and supplements for a cruise. So that means that he wants to do the thing where you take a steroid cycle and you do that for a few months and then that's called blast and then you go to testosterone replacement therapy dosage trt um after that as like a break instead of going to nothing and doing a pct and you skip all that and just take um like a replacement dosage of natural a little bit higher than natural testosterone so like one usually one milliliter per week or one cc per week so that's usually about 250 milligrams per week. So that would be called the cruise. And you do that just so that your body is not like revved up, you know, cause on a steroid cycle, you're like revving your engine, like revving your RPMs you could imagine on a car, you know, and you know, training really hard and stuff. So, you know, you don't want to be riding that engine too hard for too long. So that's why you would come off and do a cruise. And, and then do um, just one cc per week. This is really common practice among bodybuilders. Um, and as the bodybuilder gets bigger over time, it becomes necessary to use more on the cruise in order to feel normal. I personally need about 500 milligrams of testosterone per week to feel normal actually because without that much it just it's not really like enough to support the muscle mass at like full function it's like my my glycogen stores are low and I just feel like more tired um so when you know I personally have experienced definitely as I've gotten bigger or you know when I'm significantly big i'm not at my biggest right now uh but when i'm when i'm bigger uh it definitely takes more testosterone on a cruise to feel normal and to feel like just natural not more kind of run down or something so the the more muscle tissue like definitely demands more testosterone to support it as you go up. Mm. You know, a lot of people have different definitions of what they call cruise. I've I've always thought that with cruise and the way that I look at it is that like, you know, why take steroids? Because you want to get bigger, okay? And you know, taking um a high dosage of them is not obscenely bad for your health but you know it is bad for your health a little bit so then you come off and you let yourself recover by just being normal so you don't want to be taking a lot when you cruise okay right so if you're you know if you're causing a little bit of damage you know doing a little steroid cycle or a big steroid cycle and uh it's not going to be a lot of damage but you know it's the equivalent of like you're uh living a party lifestyle you know <laughs> it's doing the same thing to you to be on a steroid cycle but i would say less it's doing less it's doing you know what i t I, I amend that statement. It's, if you're living a party lifestyle, that's worse. That's worse than doing steroids, okay? Doing steroids is similar to someone who eats junk food and has a bad diet. It's about the bad, same badness for your health, okay? If you do, if you, like, go to the gym... <laughs> And you take steroids at moderate to high dosages and and you do, you know, like cardio and everything and then you like eat clean. It's about the same as like somebody 
you know, like for your health, the detriment to your health, it's pretty similar to like somebody who's eats shit regularly. <laughs> so, of course, you're a health conscious guy. And so you want to cruise. You don't want to be taking the steroids at high dosages all the time. So then that's the reason why you would go down to a lower dosage dosage and just be normal for a little while. And it's good for you psychologically too because then you're not all like pumped up and all the time and then you like it's a little bit of an ego check, you know, because then if you're just looking at these like pumped up muscles like for so long, you know, you just start feeling more like that's you and also, you know, they're pretty stimulating, you know, so um, you feel really strong when you're on them and um, have a lot of energy and like ready to go. 600 milligrams testosterone per week long term has been used in medical studies and it has been shown to not really cause any bad blood work really. The only thing that can kind of go off on about half people or maybe slightly more is the cholesterol because let me remind you, testosterone is not a to toxic substance. It's a natural hormone in your body. Having a lot of it isn't like some obscene thing to your health or something, okay? It, so if you use the natural hormones, you know, that is definitely the way to go for, um, like, being healthy is mostly just using the natural hormones. And a lot of people say, you know, like, why, you know, I get that question a lot, you know, like, why do you, they asked me, why do I recommend using high testosterone? Well, because it's effective, it's strong, it's cheap, um, it's high quality, usually. It, you know, it's, it's easier to get high quality, you know, pharmaceutical grade. And um, it's also healthy. So, like, testosterone is the healthiest steroid, just point blank. So... It's a good way to do it. It's not toxic. It's not some foreign substance. It's just a natural hormone that your body knows what to do with. So having super high levels isn't some devilish, uh, evil, super evil doctor, mini-me type of thing. So... I would say for the cholesterol, take a soluble fiber supplement, all right? Take a soluble fiber fiber supplement every day and help that cholesterol if you have a problem with it. And if you have high blood pressure, I bet your estrogen is high. <laughs> I bet your estrogen is high. So take some exemestane. Or Remedex or Letrozole. Okay, next question is from John. If I'm on Tessipionate, 500 milligrams a week, how do I swap to 500 milligrams of Propionate instead? Just changing esters, as I haven't found a real ester, real answer yet. The podcast get me through my work days. Oh, awesome! I'm glad you're enjoying listening, John. Well. It doesn't really matter too much the way that you swap between um, 500 milligrams per week of testosterone propionate and cypionate because um, it's just not too much of a, however you do it, it's not going to be too much of an in-your-face reaction. That's It's not going to like cause a lot of side effects or something. So, I mean, you might have to take a little bit extra anti-estrogen but that would be most like most likely it. So if you're on 500 milligrams of testosterone cypionate and you want to start taking propionate, I would say to skip your shot, skip your shot the you know when you do the next shot, just skip it, okay? And then the next one. So now you've it's you know, you've skipped a shot for like three or four days now, and you haven't had a shot. Now start taking your testosterone propionate, okay? The fast-acting testosterone. The testosterone propionate. 
That's the most smooth way to do it. Something like that. That's the thing. A lot of people talk about how you have to do this stuff some certain way. Or like it's so important to do it this exact way or this exact milligram. <laughs> Mm-mm. It's, it's, more, it's more casual than that. It's more casual. Don't stress yourself out. A lot of these a lot of these guys that are really into this are compulsive. But um ba. Next question, Tevin asks, "Hey, hope all is well. I'm just wondering would there would be any benefits in using D-ball and speed training if any? Thank you." Yes. There's benefits, man. D-ball increases your mind's ability to connect with your muscles so like the actual signal becomes stronger and so because of that even the first day on d-ball you're able to contract harder and faster like more forcefully with more power um there's been a lot of studies on this because d-ball has been used by so many athletes in so many countries for olympics and there's been doping programs, state-sponsored doping programs with huge amounts of data, especially from Germany, uh, East Germany. Uh, so, so they took steroids and um, then had um, very close controls on what they were doing with the steroids, but they also did it here in America too. Uh, they, they kept records on some of the athlete-prescribed steroid cycles, and usually what they were for guys who were sprinters were D-ball or Torinoball, or Anivar, or Winstrol, and it would be in the range of 15 to 30 milligrams per day. And they'd take those orals, they would just take, a, just take the oral, and some of them would rotate through the different orals, doing one for a couple weeks, then doing the next for a couple weeks. And so the guys that I'm talking about here are um, athletes, like guys who are professional athletes. There's a major difference between taking steroids for bodybuilding and taking steroids for athletics. So athletics is a skill and a talent and you're not trying to load yourself up with anabolic steroids to do that. You're trying to take that natural talent and that skill that's been developed and you're just trying to sprinkle like an extra edge on it to like give it the frosting. You're not, you're not like um, banging it with tons of steroids because if you do that, it will actually have a, it will decrease your performance to be on uh, lots of steroids while you're trying to do athletics. Um, that's why the low dosages, like 15 to 30 milligrams per day of those orals um, is normal. And yeah, there's been tests that show that the first day that you use the D-ball at 15 milligrams per day, it makes your sprint time faster for a hundred meter sprint. So that's the D-ball connecting, making that neuromuscular connection. It's able to make those motor units fire faster and more powerful. The com connection between your mind and your muscles, the real connection, the electrical nerve connection. The, if you take too much steroids as an athlete, what will happen is you'll get side effects that a bodybuilder might enjoy, but you won't want those because it will be athletically debilitating to you. So if you take big dosages of steroids, you get real pumped. And everybody knows this. When you go in the gym, you get a real big pump. And actually, sometimes you get so pumped especially if you're well-fed and you're on a good dosage of steroids, you get so pumped that your muscle just kind of freezes. It kind of locks up because it has so much blood in it. It's so swollen. It's not really able to really go through its range of motion very effectively anymore, or at least not apply much force going through that range of motion. And so it just kind of like locks in an extreme pump. And so what will happen is if you're an athlete and you're doing sprinting, th this kind of thing can happen in your calves uh, and in other muscles, in your lower back and other muscles. You'll, know, you'll get a, an extreme pump in these muscles and it will totally debilitate your ability to continue forward. It will be too painful and become uh, a cramp feeling. This is why these guys, and it also makes you like more out of breath and stuff to be taking on a lot of steroids. That's not, guys... With professional athletes who are not bodybuilders, 
the name of the game is not, uh, you know, just taking a bunch of gear and, and then becoming a pro athlete. It's for bodybuilding in the gym and physique manipulation. That's more the name of the game, but not for athletes who are playing sports. It's natural talent and the skill that they develop and then just frosting it with a little bit of steroids. When, when, the, when you start taking too much, it makes you very specialized to being a muscle building machine. And that very specialized muscle building machine is specialized and good at one task at the expense of other tasks. A really huge, strong, muscular guy cannot run a mile with a good time. That's, that's not happening. He's too big. He carries the weight of a fat person. The lungs don't grow. The lungs don't grow with the rest of the muscles. So you have a bigger body with the same oxygen input ability as someone with a smaller body. It, this is the reasons why I'm trying to make it clear that as far as sports go, it's not like you can just take steroids and become a pro athlete. That is so far. Like, like that's, that's nothing. It, the steroids are only a finishing touch for the athletes. For the bodybuilders, it's not. So <laughs> the way that like uh, Arnold and guys say, oh, you know, it's just a finishing touch. That's true for the athletes. That's not true for the bodybuilders, the strong men, the power lifters. The steroids are uh, integral part. And, and most with bodybuilding uh, out of those three weightlifting sports that I was just talking about or events. Bodybuilding is not so much a sport. But ha 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 ha. I said that. Ha ha ha. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Next question. It is from Tony who asks, I'm thinking about taking my first step into the dark side, but my problem is that I don't can't take needles. So I'm considering an oral only cycle and heard you talking about supporting Anavar with a low dose of D-ball, 10 milligrams every day. And that sounds like something for me. Yeah. So back in the fifties and the sixties, some doctors were prescribing Deanabol at 10 to 15 milligrams per day for hormone replacement therapy. And they did, they wrote some books about it and what they were doing and had some studies published and declared that Dianabol at 10 to 15 milligrams today daily offers full androgen replacement therapy in man. So that that's what they were doing. You know, they'd put these guys on D-ball and just, you know, they'd be on it indefinitely for 10 to 15 milligrams per day for hypogonadism, not producing your own hormones. They were using that instead of testosterone. And it does work okay for that. So you got to have a little bit of estrogen in your brain for it to function right. If you don't have any estrogen in your cycle, you feel like shit. And when you take something like Tren, if you don't want to take test for some reason, but you still want to take the Tren, you can just use a little 10 milligrams D-ball for a base. And it works like a test base and it maintains like your sexual function and everything. I've tried it. It works. I've done it. Why would somebody on average not want to do that, though? That's the question. Well, taking a lot of D-ball, like we talked about earlier, is a shit show. It's really up and down, and it's a bloated mess. An estrogen mess. But the, the D-ball, at the low dosages, it's good. It just fills you up a little bit, and it's not so volatile. Honestly, 10 milligrams a day is good. One time I used 500 milligrams of trenbolone per week. I used like 350 Masteron per week and 10 milligrams of D-ball per day. And I had a great normal sex drive. But why wouldn't you want to do it? Because oral steroids, okay, they're a little bit toxic. They're a little bit more toxic than injectable steroids. And the reason for that is because they have to be able to, the hormone has to be able to survive your digestive tract. There's a lot of acid in there. And it has to be filtered by the liver. And it has to make it through all that and then make it into the bloodstream. Whereas with an injectable steroid, you just put it in a syringe and you put it right into your right into your body. So it doesn't have to go through the digestive tract. So it doesn't have to have that protection. So the orals have to have this extra little molecule 
that protects it from being broken down and it's a bit toxic attached to it. And that's why injectables are much healthier. If you take uh, 10 to 15 milligrams of D-ball per day, uh, every day, your blood work will not look as good as it will look on 250 milligrams of testosterone per week, which would be another testosterone replacement therapy. But this does work. And that's what I'm trying to say about taking some D-ball and, you know, you're asking about a D-ball only cycle. This thing on the internet about how, oh, you can't take an oral cycle, like you can't take it. Dude, you can do whatever you want. And I'm just saying this does work. And you can gain muscle. You can use the D-ball, 10 milligrams per day, as your testosterone replacement therapy. And then you could take the other steroids that are oral on top of it to make the gains. And so you said something about Anavar. You know, I would say 50 to, 50 to 100 milligrams of Anavar per day. I really don't think Anavar is that effective. I don't think it's very effective below 80 to 100 milligrams per day. So that's what I would do uh, if it was me even if I was a beginner, seriously, and this was my plan, that's that's what I would do. Um, but other ones like Anadrol at 50 milligrams per day on top of the 10 milligrams D-ball, or like you could do, you know, 50 to 75 to 100 milligrams Winstrol on top of it. Those would all be experimentation ranges, and they would all be things that worked doing those doing those protocols for about eight weeks. When you come off of oral steroids, um, you're going to immediately start going backwards because that thing that, you know, about, you know, you can take steroids and then just like maintain it when you don't have the steroids in you anymore. That's not true. You can, you have to have some steroids in you still. You can't just be like not on steroids at all. Okay. So if you go off steroids completely and you're not taking like any TRT or like anything for maintenance, then you'll start going backwards. That's what happens. That's one of the reasons why people say, you know, don't take the oral only cycle. Um, Cause I mean, you don't want to be taking the oral steroids all year round. Some people do, but it's not a good thing to do. It's definitely not a good thing. That's one of the things that can cause you a cardiovascular disease, you know, early heart attack and stroke death. It's like smoking. It's like smoking. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's not going to kill you today, but it'll kill you slowly. Um, next question is from anonymous. He says, thanks for your amazing podcast. Could you go into depth on androgen receptors, please? For example, using advanced supplementation increases the number of androgen receptors. Does this mean more gear is required to switch on every receptor on a muscle cell to activate growth? Yeah. When you take roids, you create more androgen receptors, androgen receptors, they're on all your cells. They're on your bone cells. They're on your skin cells, on your hair follicle cells, they're on your prostate, they're on your uh, brain. They're everywhere, okay? And what they are is your cells, they have a membrane. It's like a circle. And then on the outside of them, they have these little things that can appear called receptors. There's different types of receptors. And the ones for male hormones are called androgen receptors. And it's kind of like a catcher's mitt. And when stuff is floating around in the bloodstream, and it's the right um, like lock or the right key to fit in that lock of that catcher's mitt of the receptor, then it grabs it and it transmits a message to the nucleus of the cell and uh, makes the DNA of the cell not change but work a little bit differently, uh, emphasizes certain parts. So when you take more steroids, your body responds by creating more catcher's mitts to accommodate the increased amount of steroids. There's a myth that if you take steroids for a long time or you take uh, high dosages of steroids or something, that that's going to make you create less androgen receptors, and that's not true. It's not true. Taking more steroids creates more androgen receptors. There's plenty, plenty of study that has been on done, done on this not just one or two but plenty so it's pretty hard to argue against this it, this is something that's known about the way that the human body works um it is good for your health to clean out from taking gear sometimes and when you have good health you build muscle much better 
and burn fat much better than when you don't. So somebody that's on steroids long term and, you know, they're damaging themselves with, um, you know, toxic agents, you know, over time. And if they're in an unhealthy state, um, they will definitely benefit from having a washout and stopping taking stuff and getting healthy. And then when their body is healthy again, they will be able to have their physique respond much more effectively and potently to the steroids and everything again. But it wasn't because of the androgen receptors increasing or decreasing. When you take steroids, your body responds to that increased amount of steroids by creating more catcher's mitts to catch the steroids and transmit the message into the cell, to the nucleus. And the more steroids you take, the more of the catcher's mitts, the androgen receptors, appear on the outsides of the cells to accommodate the increased amount of androgens available. That's how it works. Okay, and the last question is from Matt. How is insulin affected when using growth hormone? How is insulin affected when using MK677? Growth hormone. MK677, I've used it. I've used injectable growth hormone too, as you guys know. And MK677, I'll tell you this. This is the effect that I get from it. It makes me hungry. It makes me hungry. It makes me hungry as shit. Frantically hungry. And injectable growth hormone does that for me as well. But that's, uh, that's the end of where they share any effects for me. I don't get any other effects from MK677. But I am aware and do know that MK677 does double your natural growth hormone. But that doesn't translate to the actual cosmetic effects, 3D effects, fat burning effects, uh, muscle volumizing and box shaping effects, cosmetic effects of injectable growth hormone. Uh, even though MK677 does work in doubling your growth hormone levels, it is nowhere near injectable growth hormone like it is so 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 far not in the same league of a substance that it's it's like comparing like a an ant to a human and then just stepping on the ant and just squashing it and it's just guts flying everywhere like mk677 is dog shit in comparison to injectable growth hormone okay it just it just absolutely it can't even be compared because it's just a nothing it's nothing but <laughs> MK677 will increase your appetite. If you want to increase your appetite, MK677 will do that. That's the effects that I get from MK677. As far as insulin sensitivity, you get less sensitive to insulin when you take growth hormone or, S or MK677. Um, not really in your muscle cells, but mostly in your fat cells. And that raises your fasting blood glucose. Um, normally, normal fasting blood glucose levels are around, if you get a monitor, it would read around 80. It's called A1C. And levels around 100 to 110 are normally seen for people on growth hormone and M MK677. And... Like type 2 diabetes starts around like 120, so you don't want to be insul uh, too insulin sensitive, but because of the fact that it's the fat cells that are insulin sensitive, insensitive, not not really the muscle cells, it's, it's not too big of an issue. You could take metformin to become very sensitive to insulin. Things that make you insensitive to insulin is eating a lot of carbs because you're hammering it creating so much your body desensitizes to it and then something that increases your insulin sensitivity is training extremely hard training heavy um, max sets compound exercises and then metformin 1000 to 2000 milligrams of metformin per day it'll fix your if you're worried about insulin sensitivity from growth hormone or mk677 that will uh 
make you very sensitive to insulin again. And the benefit of metformin too, and what's cool about it is that it only sensitizes your muscle cells to insulin and it does it very potently while not doing that to the fat cells. So it's specific in the type of cells that it uh, sensitizes to insulin. And I think it has a insulin sensitizing effect on bone tissue as well. So the main insulin insensitizing effect from growth hormone and MK677, but mostly I want to say growth hormone, okay? Because MK677 is an experimental chemical. We don't know so much about it. So I don't want to make blanket statements on that. But with injectable growth hormone, the main effect on like insulin sensitivity, insensitivity, not being sensitive, is in the fat cells. And that's the main reason why you're fasting blood glucose is higher on it. Just take some metformin. Metformin's great stuff. Makes you more 3D too. If you take 2,000 milligrams. 1,000 milligrams, there's not really much uh, PED, performance enhancing drug effect, but at 2,000 milligrams, um, then it does have a performance enhance or physique enhancing effect where you're like bigger, fuller, rounder. And gives you really bad shits for the first three weeks. Okay, the next question is from Johannesburg. He's got a sex question. He's got a sex question for the podcast. Since being on steroids one and a half years, notice that my climaxes during sex are less satisfying or always leaving me wanting more. Still feels good, but nowhere near as satisfying as they used to be. Why do you think this is? I'm pretty quick to blame female hormones here because it's usually the cause of sexual issues, although my estrogen prolactin feels like it's in range. I've tried with a bunch of different girls and it's always the same feeling of not being completely satisfied. Any help or expertise is appreciated here. Love the podcast and my Bible, Ultimate Guide to Roids. Alright, so for guys that have been on gear for a while, usually there will be a decline of sex drive, even while on the gear. And some guys are immune to this, but... Most guys get this at some point. And it's mostly due to not having the pro-hormones that your testicles and your pituitary gland and hypothalamus produce anymore and your natural reproductive system just going to a complete halt. So the first year or so of taking steroids, for the most part, your pituitary gland is still kind of eking out a little bit of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, the chemicals that tell your balls to turn on and work and your reproductive system to function but somewhere like you said around like a year a year and a half straight of taking them um you know that that system that it's called the the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis it really just kind of slams shut and uh at that point for a lot of people they'll get sexual dysfunction from having their natural reproductive system Pretty much just, it doesn't have any signal to function. The only signal that it's still getting is, you know, the strongest sex drive hormone, testosterone. So basically you take all the uh, other hormones that are weaker away, and then you're adding this hormone in, adding more, making a huge amount of the most potent one, but you're missing all of those least, least potent ones. And for a lot of people, not having those other hormones, um, it makes their reproductive system just kind of like totally shut down and they kind of get some sexual dysfunction and, you know, and not creating much semen, much semen volume is a big thing with steroids too. And the solution to this guys, if your estrogen is in range, if your prolactin is in range, if your progesterone is in range, if you don't have super high SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, the solution to this is taking HCG, and you have to take it at a pretty high dosage. So HCG for guys with what you have is steroid-induced hypogonadism. So you're not producing your, your reproductive system is shut off hypogonadism, and it's from taking steroids. So for doctors that handle guys that take steroids and have hypogonadism from it, what they do is they put them on HCG at 3,000 to yeah 10,000 milligram. IUs, not milligrams, 3,000 3, IU to 10,000 IU per week. And they keep them on that for six weeks, 12 weeks, 
like three months usually. And that brings it brings them back up. It turns their balls back on. It turns their re- natural reproductive system back on. And usually that always fixes a sex drive. I've had this before too, like phantom sex drive loss where you're, you know, all your hormones are good and you're like, you know, this, what is wrong here? And yeah, HCG fixes it. That it turns your natural system back on. So if you've been on roids for a while and you just feel like your sex drive is kind of like clamped down or dead, you mostly need to be producing your own natural hormones and your reproductive system needs to get that signal to turn back on from, because you know, HCG, it, it interacts directly with the testicles and the other small reproductive organs in that area. Uh, communicates with them and tells them function turn on so you start taking hcg you know your sperm goes back to normal it doesn't look like glue anymore it's watery again another way to increase your sperm is uh volume is take 45 milligrams of zinc per day it's really effective begins working after like 24 hours that's what i'd do if i was in your situation johannesburg uh make sure that all your hormone levels are good if things are still no good then gotta get on the hcg and that should definitely fix you up, man. Like HCG is the real deal. For guys that are worried about whether it's going to work on steroids simultaneously or not, it always works, okay? Whether you're on steroids or not, HCG always works when you take it. The reason for that why the reason why for that is that the body sees HCG as luteinizing hormone, the chemical that the pituitary gland releases to make your balls work. So that's how the body views it. And that signal, you're just replacing the one that your pituitary gland would normally be sending to your testicles. And instead, you're injecting it into your body, and then it communicates directly with your testicles. So that's why it works, whether or not you're on steroids simultaneously. And the dosage with HCG, 500 to 1,000 IUs every other day. I like to put it into the subcutaneous fat tissue. Frequency is more important than dosage with HCG. So taking a high dosage is not as effective with HCG as taking it more frequently. So every other day or every day with HCG, that's how you're going to get that better, the best uh, function of your reproductive system going back on again. And it communicates directly with it. The guys that say that it doesn't work, you're sending your body mixed signals. I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's wrong. And all you have to do is try this for a week in order to experience for yourself that that's wrong. Sometimes the stuff that some of these gurus pull out of their asses just blows my mind. Next question is from Wizzy Latif, who asks, Deanabol versus Anadrol. Well, they're both very effective. They can both get you really big and really strong. But D-ball is a mess, bro. D-ball is a mess. It produces so much estrogen, and it's a very potent form of estrogen. And high blood pressure, bloody noses in the gym. Anadrol can do it too. Anadrol can raise your blood pressure a lot and do bloody bloody noses in the gym. Uh, but with D-ball, you're like this swollen mess, kind of like your body takes on water in your muscles, in your skin, in your organs. You're just this big, swollen mess, and it's not very comfortable. It's not very comfortable to be using a lot of D-ball. On the other hand, there are a very small, select few of individuals who do not really produce the en- the enzyme aromatase in their bodies. That is the enzyme that converts uh, steroids into estrogen. So steroids that can be converted into estrogen, it transforms them. This When this and aromatase enzyme attaches to them. It transforms them into estrogens. And some guys just don't really produce the aromatase enzyme. And so you have these random guys out there who can take like 1,500 milligrams or 2,000 milligrams of testosterone per week or 1,000 milligrams of testosterone per week, whatever, and they don't have to use any anti-estrogen. And they have no type of bloating or gyno or anything like that. So normally these guys love D-ball because they can take a bunch of D-ball and they don't get these insane bloating effects that everyone else gets. But for the other guys, it's better to take Anadrol. I like Anadrol way better than D-Ball because it's just not a mess. It still makes you uh, pull in a lot of water, but it doesn't really put any in the skin. And, I, I mean, maybe a tiny bit and not in the organs. It's just in the muscles. It pulls the water all into the muscles. 
both Ebol and Anadrol get you way bigger, way quicker, um, and way stronger, way quicker. Ebol is a better body recomposition agent. It's better at being able to cut through fat and make muscle gains still, uh, or making muscle gains, strength gains on a low calorie diet. It's better than Anadrol for that. Ebol is also milligram per milligram, about twice as strong as Anadrol. So 25 milligrams Anadrol. Uh, mix that up. 25 milligrams Dianabol will have about the same muscle building anabolic firepower as 50 milligrams of Anadrol. 50 milligrams Dianabol will have about the same muscle building firepower as 100 milligrams of Anadrol. So milligram per milligram, D-ball is about twice as strong. I like the mental effects that Anadrol gives me much better than D-ball. D-ball is more of a up and down yo-yo. Anadrol gives me a nice, good focus. It gives me energy. It gives me a bit of a confidence even, too. It has a really potent mental effect on me, uh, and it's, it's really good. It's not it's not an overly aggressive or, or angry or trennish type of, like, rage effect. It's more of just a focus, a confidence, and uh, an energy. You know, I'm, I'm just stronger because I took the tablets, and so I just have more energy to do things. I, I just do. Uh, Anadrol is really great. I really like taking Anadrol. I, you know, with D-Ball, I don't like taking more than 10 milligrams per day. Because if I take more than 10 milligrams per day, it's a watery mess. But it's so strong and so effective that 10 milligrams per day, I can actually see the difference and feel the difference from being on that, even if I'm on a strong cycle. But with Anadrol, I don't like to take less than 50 milligrams per day. Actually, 100 milligrams per day is the dosage that I really like. 150 milligrams per day is even better. But 100 milligrams per day, I feel like the full character of Anadrol comes out, and I really get to experience what that one's all about, and it's definitely one of the best steroids. Anadrol and Dianabol both make you look like a bodybuilder, basically like faster than anything else. They get you big and thick. They get you big. That's how you get big. You take those. Um, Next question is from Nathan. He asks, hey, I have a topic idea for the podcast. Many men and some women are on standard TRT testipunate and therefore are blood tested on a semi-regular basis. What would be any potential mini-blasts that could be done within a three-month blood test interval? Yeah, a lot of guys do this. So what you want to do, you're, you're on TRT and you have to get a blood test every three months for your doctor for your TRT. So you're wondering how you can use steroids in between them but then have your blood test still look okay and, you know, not be... Th- messing up and think that your your doctor thinking that your TRT is going bad or that, you know, you're taking steroids or something, something he doesn't want you to be doing. Um, you can do that. And then the other part of your question, you're talking about women taking TRT. Yeah, there are some women. There, There's like a new age, it's like a trendy medical treatment um, going on right now um, for female, low female sex drive. It, it's, um, it's like a experimental, experimental trendy treatment where they they give the women like a 10 milligram injection of test cypionate per week, or they give them a little bit of the, the testo gel, androgel stuff that, you know, the cream that you rub on your hands or on your, your forearms or whatever. Uh, just tiny bits of testosterone for low sex driving women. Um, kind of odd seeing as, um, you know, on the, on the package insert for testo gel, androgel, it says, you know, don't, you know, make sure the area of your body that you rubbed this stuff on does not touch any women or children or, you know, else your wife might turn into a Neanderthal or your children might hit puberty earlier, stuff like that. You know, talk about it like getting everywhere. But then you have these doctors prescribing women this testosterone cream and rubbing it into themselves. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing, man? But yeah, it's it's true. They've they've got some women on prescriptions for testosterone now. It's a new age medical treatment. Some of them take a little bit, like ten milligrams cypionate per week. As far as uh, looking good on blood tests, you should be using fast acting injectables and orals. Um, you can stop taking like fast acting injectables like propionate, acetate, phenylpropionate. Etc. You can stop taking those about a month before, you know, three or four weeks before your blood test, and those will be totally out of your system by the time you take your blood test, and it won't look messed up from having been on them. Um, same thing with orals; they're in and out of your system in a few days, uh, but they do have 
more bad effect like they can have some effects that don't look good on your blood work like cholesterol being off blood lipids being off etc liver values being a little bit elevated and so if your doctor you know saw you on that you know while they wouldn't that wouldn't really affect your your uh, hormone readings on the blood test like test and estrogen much you know he might be like oh the trt is causing you problems you're not reacting well to it if your blood work doesn't look real good so that could be another issue and if you get off the orals um, a month before, um, about a month, yeah, about a month before your your next blood test, all your blood markers will be back to normal, looking as if you hadn't taken them. So if you're going to take a blood test at a three-month interval and you were trying to have your steroid use be private, then you know right after you took your blood test, doing like a, an eight-week, two-month cycle of fast-acting injectables and some orals, and then being off for a month and just being on TRT again for before your next blood test, that's definitely what I would recommend. That, uh, that would be a safe way to use steroids without having, uh, you know, your blood test showing that you were being a naughty boy. The next question is from Camille, who asks, maybe a question for the podcast regarding this bullshit quarantine for the fake virus the fake pandemic the fake pandemic the stupid virus throw that virus all over me put it in my yogurt just shower me in that stupid chinese wuhan virus that fake 0.06% fatality rate in people who are in old folks homes stupid patented Dr. Fauci produced in China, paid for it, financed the Wuhan China virology lab that this bullshit came out from. Virus. Stupid ass quarantine. Worth hopping on cycle if I have access to the gym at the fire hall roughly two to three times a week. He's a firefighter. And some free weights at home within with kettlebells and a jump rope. Kind of weak, I know, but got to keep doing something while these keep these gyms effing closed. Yeah, so... Bro, <laughs> steroids work whether you uh, lift weights or not. Um, so steroids are medications. This is uh, something that bodybuilders uh, don't want you to know. They don't want you to know this. But it's the freaking truth, bro. Steroids weren't invented for bodybuilders. They weren't invented for athletes. They were invented as mute medications for sick people. They're, meant to, they're not meant to only work if you train, if you weight lift, or if you have a specific diet. They're just meant to work. High protein makes them work better, and they are meant to be used with a high protein diet, but it doesn't require training for steroids to build muscle. Uh, training and diet are required to maximize the body's response to steroids, but steroids are medications that work regardless of if the person is an athlete or not. They're used on people in hospitals. They work, just point blank. You take them and they work. So you don't even need to work out, and the steroids do, like, build muscle and stuff like that. Um, me, I was on testosterone replacement therapy um, since February, and then I haven't been able to weight lift since mid-March because of this freaking lockdown. And so I was still on TRT until mid-May, and by that point, like, you know, and not lifting weights for a couple for a couple months you know things were i'm starting to think i was looking at myself like man i'm like not even really looking like a bodybuilder anymore uh still looking like a, still looking thick but not look looking not soft and not enough to find but anyways so for me two weeks ago i started taking uh some super draw some wind straw some terinabol a little deanabol little test and uh doing some push-ups and pull-ups and uh i definitely look like a bodybuilder now man two weeks on that um lost a ton of fat at least 10 pounds i've also been eating a ketogenic diet 2000 calorie ketogenic diet while i've been doing that so but i'm just saying i haven't i haven't been lifting weights like they they work even for somebody who's experienced using these they work without um you know lifting weights at the same time so just i want to just clarify that that 
you know, for to make steroids their effects be maximized, then yeah, you need like you know you need to optimize the training and the diet. But these are just medications that aren't made for bodybuilders and athletes. You know, they're meant to just work without having to do anything. That's why they're medications that doctors give people. Uh, if you can go to the gym at your firehouse and lift heavy compound movements two to three times a week, I mean, that's pretty much the only amount that you want to be lifting huge heavy weights anyways. The rest of the week, you would be doing stuff like volume stuff, like getting more work in, uh, you know, stopping two to three reps shy of failure. You wouldn't be, you know, hammering yourself over and over and over again like that with the heaviest weights, you know, ripping down your muscles, tearing down your muscles. Usually when guys can't make progress in the gym, you know, they're stuck. They can't increase the wet reps. They can't increase the weight. They can't in increase the amount of set. They can't increase the um, amount of time that their t set takes to complete. Uh, usually taking more rest days is the prescription there. Usually resting more will help them be able to overcome that. It's the options that they have to overcome that and be able to keep on making progress are resting more, eating more food, taking more steroids. That's how you overcome that. Uh, I definitely think that it's worthy, worth it to do that, to take some roids with your situation, your kettlebells at home, gym at the fire hall, Hey, man, we don't even know when this thing is going to end. So got to make some adjustment. Keep your hobby going. Next question is from Joby, who asks, Why would someone want to use Trenbolone hexahydrobenzyl carbonate? With the longer ester, would we want to use more to feel the effects of Tren? Uh, hexahydrobenzyl carbonate is an ester molecule attached to Trenbolone, such as, you know, other Trenbolones have a acetate attached to it or an enanthate attached to it to prolong its life in the body hexahydrobenzyl carbonate is a fast is a long acting ester it's longer acting than enanthate is but not much longer acting than enanthate uh the difference between taking hex trend hex or trend enanthate it's not really noticeable it's similar to the difference between taking testosterone cypionate and testosterone enanthate they're just too close in their acting times that it just doesn't make a big difference. But on the other hand, taking trenacetate is different than taking um, trenanthate or trenhex. Trenacetate is, is more potent. Fast-acting esters of injectables are more consciously felt by the user. As far as why is there like, you know, why is trenhex usually more expensive and why is there kind of a ooh, ah, uh, it has some mystique or something like that because the human grade trenbolone that was made uh, from the 60s until 1997 when it was discontinued was called Parabolin and it was made by a company in France called Negma and it contained trenbolone hexahydrobenzyl carbonate. They, it was a very long ester for steady blood levels and um, infrequent injections that they would, you know, use on humans. The, usually um, animal versions of medications are shorter acting esters and usually human uh, medications steroids are usually longer acting esters you have other you have lots of lots of lots of stuff going on the main thing with the trend hex is that it's it's like the prestige that's why it's more expensive it's not because it's better or more effective it's because there was human grade trenbolone that was very very high quality available and what that was was trend hexahydrobenzyl carbonate and so like the the marketing angle for that is like hey you know like you know parabolin so strong uh human grade trenbolone here's here's that you know here's here's what's inside those ampules trenbolone hexahydrobenzyl carbonate you know so kind of using that prestige of the human grade product and the name and the uh, certain ester that was in there in order to, uh, you know, kind of hype up a product a bit. But it's it's not more effective than acetate or enanthate. It's not like some special thing. It's it's just trenbolone. And trenbolone acetate, if you want to get the strongest effects from trenbolone, that's the one that produces the strongest effects. If you would like 
your questions to be answered on the Steroids Podcast. Go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.